Hello and welcome to episode number 89 of the Agro Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast has been released onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast, on Monday, May 3rd, 2010. Today we are joined by Lloyd Kreitzer, also known as the Fig Man. Lloyd, you have been a fig hobbyist and germplasm collector for many years in the Albuquerque, New Mexico area. Welcome to the Agro Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Frank. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be interviewed by you. Well, tell us how you got started with figs. How long ago was it, and what exactly did you start doing? Um, I was at a flea market maybe 10, 11 maybe 12 years ago, and um, a woman was selling very small one-gallon fig trees, and I was on a bicycle. And I looked at her and I said, fig trees? I didn't know that fig trees would grow in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she said, oh, no, they, they, they do. And I said, wow, uh, I've never seen a fig tree in Albuquerque. And she said, oh, no, they're I, I make cuttings from old Albuquerque fig trees. And so I asked her a few questions. Well, how do you do that exactly? And she wasn't willing to divulge all the details, but just enough to tease me. And something, some old synapse that had been waiting for a long time sort of completed itself in my brain. I have this idea that we are all old dogs and we take our favorite dreams, our favorite bones, and we bury them for us to use later on. We take our loves and our dreams and our bones and we bury them for our future so that we will have something to nibble on. And it had been maybe 50 years uh, from the time I first met a fig at age four till the time that all of a sudden it was ah, a lost love. And um, I called my daughter uh, in maybe a couple weeks later, and I said, what's my relationship with figs? And she said, Dad, growing up with you, the refrigerator would be filled with bowls of ripe figs, and you eat a fig like nobody I've ever seen. You fondle the whole bowl. You find the gnarliest one. You you." You feel it and touch it and braille it for what appears to me to be too long a period of time for me to feel completely comfortable. And then you bring it to your, to your eyes and you look at it like it was a foreign object. And then you smell it. And then finally you choose a particular place to take your first bite. And when you bite it, you chew it and you roll your eyes discerning all the subtleties of flavoring and you swallow and you listen to your aftertaste and the way it emolliently goes down your throat and then you smell the part where you've taken your bite and you look at it carefully and examine all the details of the seed and the structure and then you take another bite and this proceeds until you're finished with your fig. No one eats a fig like you. You love figs. Why are you asking? And I said, I have 125 fig trees in the backyard, and I don't know how I did that. I think when we love something, we have no hindrance. We no longer have a separation between the object and us. 
and the passion, the depth of who we are comes through in that love affair. And and we in the in this case the fig are one. Okay, so you mentioned you had 125 fig trees in your yard when you had this conversation with your daughter. Yes. How have your activities grown since you first saw those fig trees in those uh, gallon buckets at that flea market that day? Um, I, until now, I have learned. I have learned to listen to figs. I have learned to um, find patience for figs. Uh, part of finding patience, as you know is finding impatience. <laughs> I can find my impatience faster than I can find my patience. Uh, but um, usually after I've spent my impatience, I, I find I have patience. And the fig, you cannot, I cannot look at a fig and tell you how long it's going to take to propagate. Um, it can take anywhere from oh, uh, six weeks to go from a, a six-inch cutting the size of um, a ring finger, um, to uh, leafing out and rooting out to two years. Anything in between. Every fig variety has its own timetable, has its own way. Um, some figs are very difficult to propagate. So the idea that uh, you can propagate any fig is not true. Some are easy, some are very difficult. That is, they are time-consuming or just very difficult. Uh, there's a Hotel Alvarado fig. I just sold one today. The first time I ever propagated it, I made 150 six-inch cuttings. Two years later, I had two trees. So that's a tremendous amount of attrition. Um, and I, I didn't understand what did I do wrong, and the answer is I didn't do anything wrong. It's just a very difficult fig to propagate. Okay, let's get a little bit into this in terms of the fig plant itself. Uh, what can you tell us about its environmental requirements, its lifespan, pollination, growth habits? Can you give us a general breakdown of the biology of the species? The, the fig is 60 million years old. It's ficus carica. It's, uh, the ficus family has 2,000 varieties. Ficus uh, elastica is rubber tree. Uh, ficus carica is the edible fig. Ficus uh, uh, pumilla is another edible fig, but not as common as Ficus carica. Um, there's a, a Ficus uh, johannes, which is more in Afghanistan and Iran and India, and it is also an edible fig, but again, not as common as Ficus carica. Among the Ficus carica, there is the kind that is self-pollinating, which is what we have in most of the world, most of this country, except for southern Texas and the coast of California, where the wasp, the second variety of ficus carica, a wasp-pollinated fig, um, has the wasp has been brought in, and those varieties have been brought in from Turkey as well as parts of Greece. And you can bite into a fig and know whether the fig was pollinated by itself or pollinated by a wasp in the following way. When you bite into a fig and you taste the poppy seed, toasted, dry, completely mature seed against the soft, sensual, emollient flesh, and it's that contrast between the dry poppy seed and the 
flesh, moisture and sweetness that opens up a pleasure center. That is a fig that is caprified. That is a fig that is pollinated by a wasp. When you bite into a fig and it's sweet and emollient and you have immature seeds that are like the seeds in a strawberry, that is a self-pollinated fig. Um, the fig has been loved by every culture. Um, the history of the fig and the fig's movement throughout the world is the history of civilization coming from the Tigris and Euphrates, from the cradle of civilization, moving outward across the world. They didn't just move figs. They moved um, astronomy. They moved uh, mathematics. They moved high science. They moved... Um, all of our common farm animals. They moved all of the grains that support our culture, Western culture. Um, they moved um, a, a way of seeing. They moved a, a, uh, a language of numbers so that today we have the Arabic numerals instead of the Roman numerals. Um, it, it, it was a whole culture that moved, and the fig was part of that. To this day, truck drivers in the Middle East and Mediterranean have bracelets and necklaces of rattan with dried figs strung on them. And so as they're driving, just like the camel drivers of old age, of, of, of the biblical antiquity, they would pull off a dried fig and pop it in their mouth and suck on it for hours. The alkalinity, the fig being one of the most alkaline foods in the world, it's so wonderful. It's anti-cancer uh, because of its fison content, but it's minerally rich. Uh, it's sweetness. It's good. It's soothing. Um, it keeps the mouth wet in dry climates. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and the, the fig was loved. Uh, um, so uh, so there are two thousand varieties in the world, seven hundred in the United States. I have eighty-seven. And I go all over the state of New Mexico teaching fig workshops. Um, I, I just um, I find that there are historical fig trees all over the state. We've had figs in New Mexico for 529 years. I think the oldest figs in the country came from Cuba, but originally from the Caribbean and originally from Spain. So in the 1530s or so, uh, figs came up uh, on the, uh, into the islands off of South Carolina and came into the South that way. Thomas Jefferson was a fig lover. He imported French figs. Uh, he was referred to as a figurer, which is the English word for somebody who propagates um, and, uh, and grows figs. Um, of course, George Washington complained that the fig seeds um, seemed to get underneath his wooden teeth. But... Um, so we've had figs in our history. Plato loved figs. Socrates loved figs. Einstein was a great fig lover. Um, I don't know what other presidents loved uh, figs, but um, they have been absolutely loved. Uh, the third, I think the fourth century figs moved with the Romans, uh, leaving Italy for England. And uh, 1,400 years later, 80 varieties of figs were brought to Northern California to start the California fig industry uh, through the uh, the, the uh, Department of Agriculture program, and uh, so it, it's it's just a history. What I love about the fig, besides the way it looks and 
its idiosyncrasies and the way it violates all of the rational rules. Um, what I love about it is that when people talk about figs, their face opens up. You see the face of a child. You see the face of, of, of a, a passion or a delight that transcends politics or religiosity or age. Um, there's something about people telling a fig story that's not too different than women speaking about a birth story or people talking about the great earned and fulfilling um, sweetnesses of life. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about more about its um, cultural requirements in terms of uh, what kind of temperature ranges does it like, uh, the soils that it likes to be in, irrigation requirements, day length sensitivity, um, maybe even talk about its growth habit, or its, uh, yes, its growth habits and its lifespan as well? A fig is, the figs are some of the oldest trees in the world, and they're not quite as old as the redwoods, um, but they're, they're ancient trees. Uh, the tree that, uh, that uh, the Buddha found enlightenment under is a ficus, is a fig tree. The, the uh, Bodhi, Bodhi tree is, um, the banyan trees are fig trees. Uh, strangler figs are fig trees. Um, the Morton Bay fig, which is an ancient fig that you find all over Australia, um, those are uh, uh, huge trees. They produce a non-edible fruit, uh, at least for humans. And, and so the, the fig is ancient, and the fig lives for hundreds of years. Uh, there's no question. Um, in terms of its requirements, it has a great um, coaching for those of us who are getting older. It says that um, as you age, and the fig is 60 million years old, I'm not nearly that old myself, um, it always stays flexible. Um, its branches are flexible. Uh, the inside of them is filled with latex. That's why some insects don't like them. Um, they, they are constantly a, accommodating, adjusting, to a new environment. So when figs left Italy with the Romans and came to England, they had to adjust to a totally different climate, a totally different um, amount of light, moisture, soil acidity, etc. And within, you know, a few years, they accommodated, adjusted, and created new varieties just on their own. So a fig has a tremendous range. Generally, a fig is good to about 12 degrees. That's its low, and its high can be 100, 125 degrees. It is not picky with regards to soil. When they're young, the first five years, they like a fair amount of water, as much as any normal fruit tree. But then in about the fifth year, they, from my point of view, become more xeriscape because they're from, originally, from Palestine, Israel, southwest Turkey. Ficus carica means the ficus from Caria, the ancient uh, empire called Caria, which includes southwest Turkey, parts of Greece, and part of that Mediterranean area. So that's what we think is their origin. And the Phoenicians moved them, the, the Hittites moved them, the Arabs moved them, and they were loved wherever they went, and they were able to adjust and accommodate. People think of them as tropical. People who grew up in Louisiana or people who grew up in, in Georgia 
or Tennessee or Washington DC or some other place they or Florida they go I didn't if it could grow in Florida how could it possibly grow at 5200 feet in Albuquerque New Mexico and it's about the adaptability the constant willingness for the fig to see life as an ongoing adventure and to and to move um, towards that um, with a kind of um, youthfulness. The fig doesn't remember. Uh, I don't think it has a bad memory. It doesn't care to remember or identify with its 60 million year lineage. It is more interested in being in the current light situation. If you take a house plant, which is a fig, and you put it outside and you leave it there for a few days, it will drop all of its leaves and a human being will think that something they did hurt it and the tree is dead. So they'll overwater it. All the tree is doing is dropping its leaves so that it can accommodate the new light situation and create brand new leaves that are totally appropriate for taking in the new light situation. So while it's ancient, it's always in the current light. Um, and in that way, it has, it has only the ability to constantly adjust. And I just think it's a great coach. Uh, I, I think the leaves of a fig are beautiful. And when I say that, I'm saying that every fig tree has anywhere from two to five distinct leaves on the tree. And I live in a culture that thinks, you know, this, they bring me a fig leaf and they say, tell me what kind of fig this is. And I explain to them they'd have to bring me five different leaves, but most people have never observed the tree or looked at it to even know that it has five distinct leaves. And they're not about they look like this when they're small and they look like this when they're large. No, they're distinct. You know, how can two leaves be opposite each other and have totally different shapes? And, you know, it, it just boggles the mind. We live in a rational culture that thinks that the way to produce fruit is through a flower. And the way you produce a flower is that you create a leaf, and then later you create a flower, and then after the flower, you create a fruit. And we consider that to be a rational order. The fig is not part of that order or ration at all. It creates often a fig first, later maybe a leaf, and not just one kind, but five varieties, and never a flower. How can we have a fruit without a flower? And the answer is, the fig is not a fruit. It's a, it's a, it's a synconium. It's a container uh, holding a ripe ovary. Essentially, this is not true, but it's close to the truth. Essentially, we're eating a bud. Um, a woman many years ago who had retired from the USDA who was a home economics teacher and taught workshops and canning throughout the state of New Mexico. She said she could never figure out why a fig was alkaline when all other fruits are acid. And somebody pointed out that the reason that the fig was highly alkaline and all fruits were acid was that the fruit, the fig is not a fruit. And, it's, and that's the truth. It's actually technically not a fruit. And uh, it is very alkaline, and um, you know it, that's that. That was her. That was her uh, understanding of it. So how does the how does the pollen get out into the air? Uh, the fig is self-pollinated, 
So there are parts that are uh, male and parts that are female, and it pollinates itself. Now, we don't know whether the self-pollinated fig was the fig of origin or whether the um, uh, fig that's pollinated by a wasp was the original one of origin. Um, the oldest edible food that we have discovered is 14,000 years old, and it's a fig. So, but it does, can, it does flower, right? The, there are male and female flowers? Well, in a way it does. That is, if you were to examine the fruit, what we call the fruit of the fig, you would see rudimentary petals of, of, of a sort inside. And so the flower is within, and what you are eating is the flower. It doesn't quite look like a flower, but it is in terms of function, it really is a flower. Flowers have been around for 150 million years, and the fig was one magnificent, highly adaptable experiment in, in that whole uh, uh, flowering thing. And it does it beautifully. A couple of years ago, a woman called me and she said, something's wrong with my fig. It didn't flower this year. And of course, I laughed and I said, did it flower the year before? And she said, it must have. I had fruit. And I said, well, they haven't flowered in 60 million years. Call me when it does. And so it's, it's, it's amusing because our brain just can't grasp how could it fruit if it doesn't flower. So the flower is within which sounds very occult and uh, esoteric. So you can't, you can't see the male flower either? No. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, you, and, go ahead. And so it's not fussy with regards to soil, and it's not fussy with regards to um, environment. What I love about the fig is it not only breaks the rules, but keeps breaking the rules. If I say as a fig expert, you can plant a fig in any direction but east, there are some wonderful trees right here in Albuquerque that are growing full east, which I say don't plant them east because that's not enough sunlight. A fig would prefer seven hours of sunlight, and you can't get seven hours of sunlight in a pure east direction. You can get four hours, maybe five hours. If it's southeast, you can get seven hours, but full east, you can't. Yet a fig will adapt to that situation and still give you fruit. There's a fig that's planted on 12th Street in a historical neighborhood that's about four inches away from a two-story house on the north side. I would never say to somebody, I want you to plant this tree four inches away from the north side of a two-story house. And 80 years later, that tree is as large as the two-story house. But, you know, I, I just can't believe somebody actually would plant it there. Why the north side? I have no idea. I wouldn't recommend it. On the other hand, the tree is lovely. The tree is beautiful. The tree is prolific. The fruit is magnificent. And um, the tree gets all the early morning east, and it gets late afternoon west. So it's more than seven hours. And it's protected from the blazing hot south, so it's doing well. I discovered that the ideas about how to plant figs are not nearly as relevant as what the fig shows me it can do. So I recognize quite clearly that the fig is the expert, and if I'm good at anything, I'm good at observing what the fig is trying to teach. Okay. Um, now you have also you mentioned briefly that you have many varieties of figs, most of them heirloom historical varieties. Yes. Um, 
tell us about, now, now you've told us that the fig is very forgiving, it's very adaptable on the one hand. On the other hand, I would also think that some of these different varieties that you have do better in some circumstances and conditions than others. Just the, the beauty of that diversity, I suppose. Could you tell us a little bit about what the diversity that you have in your collection um, means from a practical production of figs perspective? Production of figs? Hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I went down to Truth or Consequences a couple of winters ago to enjoy the hot springs. And while I was there, there was an elderly couple from Columbus, New Mexico, which is just across from Palomas, Mexico. And we talked about figs for some reason, and they told me that they had the Pancho Villa fig. And I said, Pancho Villa fig? What's that? And they said, well, in 1916, Pancho Villa came across the border from Mexico. He burned the town of Columbus, and he burned the fort, and he shot a bunch of people, and he stole a bunch of cattle, and he went back across Mexico. And the United States government did not like that kind of action, and we sent the first use of airplanes in warfare after him, and we planted a fig tree at that temporary airport, and we sent tanks and cavalry. We sent 2,000 men after Pancho Villa, and we never found him. When I got down there, and I lived with these people for two days, and I made, oh, 50 cuttings or so, both for them and for myself, I heard the rest of the story, which is Pancho Villa had paid the previous year the United States government in silver for guns and ammunition to fight his fight against the corrupt government of Mexico. And we made him into a folk hero. And we wrote inexpensive books about him, and we made films about him, and Pancho Villa became a household name in America. And then our government signed a private agreement with the corrupt government of Mexico to not overthrow them. And since we had been paid as a government by Pancho Villa, we decided that instead of giving him his money back, we would just classify him as a bandit, not a fighter for freedom. So we made him into a bandit, and therefore we didn't have to return his money to him. So we betrayed him, we cheated him, and we, and we blackened his name. And he was pissed. And he came across and tried to get his justice. Uh, and we never found him. Uh, a fig tree was planted at that airport, which I believe was used a few years later as a training airport for World War I, and then also a training airport in World War II. And I think it was partly used in the Korean War and then somewhere in the mid-60s, it was abandoned. And this was a guy named Kaufman, originally from New York, who retired in Columbus, who dug up the fig tree and took it into his courtyard, and it, it's been there ever since. So it's a large, uh, pear-shaped, uh, striped fig. It's brown, tan, and green, very sweet, um, with a pink inside. And um, it's, you know, Columbus is hot, so it's hot and dry, full sun. Um, it is in a protected environment. The wall of the adobe is only three feet around, and it's a large courtyard. And there's a fig with a history, and the leaf is unusual. Every variety of fig 
has its own shaped leaf. There are figs that look like hearts. There are figs that look like the classic fig leaf on a Greek sculpture. There's a fig leaf that looks like a Maserati. All you have to do is add four wheels and a windshield. There are figs that look like human hands. There are figs that look like violets. There are figs that look like geraniums. There are figs that look like oaks. The variety is endless. I mean, just endless. There's a fig here from Albuquerque from the old Rio Grande Yacht Club restaurant, a huge fig, and the leaf is extraordinarily detailed. It looks, uh, it, it just, it sort of looks like an oak, but that somebody who was skilled with a tiny pair of scissors um, did little details all around it. It's just a, it's a beautiful leaf. Um, it, it, figs, I have figs from Silver City that are 6,000 feet from homesteads that have been abandoned for oh, 50 or 60 years. They're, so they're 100-year-old figs, and a fig that hasn't been watered, hasn't been pruned, hasn't been fertilized, um, and has had overgrowth all around it, still surviving, is an unbelievably hardy fig. Um, and so I collect them. And more importantly, I when I go to these uh, relatively small towns, um, I teach people not only where their historical figs are, but how to propagate them so that they can sell them at the growers' markets, they can sell the fruit at the growers' markets, and more importantly, they can maintain their historical local varieties because that's the variety that they want. That tree is already climatized. That tree has already showed the world that it's uh, hardy and flexible and has resiliency and still produces abundantly and generously and lovingly. So, um, I, you know, I love passing on that knowledge because from my point of view, it's not that complicated. Uh, I had to learn it piecemeal. I had to sort of make it up. I had to uh, apprentice under a fig. Um, but And that process continues. Every year, I'm better at propagating figs than I ever been and um, and I love it it's a lot of work I have a thousand fig trees right now I have four greenhouses stuffed with figs and uh, and I got up at six o'clock this morning and watered for hours before I went off to a doctor's appointment um, it was cold this morning uh, I would have loved to have stayed in bed um, but my brain doesn't think like that it's more like um, they need to be watered I'm gonna get up and I'll water them and that's a priority before my breakfast, uh, before anything else. Um, I, I can hear them clear their throats when they need to be watered, and that's a priority in my life. That concludes my interview with Lloyd Kreitzer, also known as the Fig Man. And I will link to Lloyd's website. It is thelandofenfigment.com. So you can click through to that, and there's some contact information on there for Lloyd. So if you're interested in picking up some uh, figs that are well adapted to your climate, then Lloyd would be a good person to get in touch with, especially if you are located in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or really anywhere in the state of New Mexico. Now, I want to say that unfortunately, our interview was cut short because of technical difficulties. I had a computer crash right there towards the end and had to do a little bit of work to recover the interview that you just listened to. Fortunately, I was able to do that. Unfortunately, I was unable to conclude the interview with Lloyd Kreitzer, in which I asked him the question how he saw his variety of figs, 
his collection of fig varieties, I should say, could be used for the benefit of the people and the state of New Mexico. And so I know that that is a question that Lloyd has been thinking about, and maybe what I will do is ask him to give me a short email about that topic, and then I can read his email here for the listeners uh, on a subsequent episode of the Agro-Innovations podcast. So stay tuned for that. I'm sorry I was unable to get that recorded. I'm sorry I was unable to get Lloyd's answer recorded, although he did mention that he uh, would think about it, so maybe it's a better thing that gave him some time to think about his response. Just a reminder that this and all episodes of the Agro-Innovations podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. To learn more about that, you can visit creativecommons.org. Agro-Innovations is on Twitter, twitter.com slash agro-innovations. And also, I have a Facebook page that you can click through via the Agro-Innovations podcast website, which is at agroinnovations.com slash podcast. We're also on iTunes. And of course, you can contribute your thoughts and ideas via our comment thread, which you can find on the podcast page. And I always appreciate comments as they come in. I'd like to know what your thoughts are on a particular episode or on the podcast in general. And the comment thread is a great place to share that information. Well, just to let listeners know that I am trying to get the technical difficulties worked out that caused the computer crash that I had with Lloyd Kreitzer to prevent that from happening in the future. Um, And I will try very hard to get another podcast out next week, next Monday. But if I cannot do so, just know that it is because I am still working on the technical difficulties that I had in the past, and I'm sure that The following week, I will have a podcast interview for you. So I'm pretty sure I will have something for you by next week, but just to give you a heads up. And just to conclude, because I did not have a chance to thank Lloyd Kreitzer uh, because our interview did crash at the end there, I would like to thank Lloyd for the work that he does with FIGS and for being so generous with his time and for sharing all the things that he knows about figs and for sharing his passion about figs. So Lloyd Kreitzer, if you are listening to this interview, thank you very much for your participation in the Agro-Innovations Podcast. Until next time, this is the Agro-Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Saludos. Saludos.